what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. My name is Alan. As I point across from me, I am pointing at Chris. Hello. Chris, how are you doing? Listeners. I'm doing well. Very Good. well. This is one of our uh, patented late night recordings. Yes. Which uh, we don't get to do very often. A lot of our recordings are during the day. Yep. So we've got our smoking jackets on. We've got our right. pipes. We've Foot got candle like a nice glass after of hours. wine. Yeah. The fire's going over this side. It's, it's, it's all good time. here. So. Right. Um, so I may be talking a little slower. It's been a long, <laughs> busy day, but. You know what? I always get excited and ready and energetic to talk about films. And that's what we're here to do. Talk about movies. Talk about some uh, movies we've seen recently. We actually have two films we're going to be reviewing today. Uh, and they both have a music kind of a theme to them, which is great. We, You know, a lot of times, Chris, when we do reviews of two films, they're normally very opposite. We almost kind sure. of balance them out a little bit. A really dark, serious film with then maybe a maybe lighter, uh, big blockbuster action movie or something. Here we've got two movies that actually have some similarity to them. Mainly they're all about music. Right. We're going to be talking first about the, uh, quote, documentary, unquote, pop star, Never Stop, Never Stopping, is the name, <laughs> the full name of the film, which stars Andy Samberg and his partners from The Lonely Island. And then we'll follow that up with a review of the latest film from John Carney, who brought us Once and Begin Again in the past. And that's, that film is called Sing Street. We'll be discussing those two reviews, and then we'll be moving on to some movie news items, finishing up the episode, as always, with our recommendations of the show, where both Chris and I will share a film with you that we feel like either we just caught back up with or we uh, remembered seeing, and we think it's worth recommending to you, our listening audience. Chris, sounds like a good game plan? Yes. We ready to get started? Absolutely. Let's do our first one, then. Our first review is Pop Star, Never Stop. Never stopping. Okay, where to start? Ever since I was born, I loved music. As soon as I could, I started a band. Right away, we knew he was something special. Immediately, I said, man, this guy right here, he's going to make it big. Connor for real is actually saving the record industry. Everybody's just waiting to see like what he does next. Connor's hot. You tell me you didn't see him and say, "Yo, he's the star." Chris with pop star, never stop, never stopping. We have fellas that call themselves the Lonely Island. I don't know how familiar you are with a lot of the work they've done on Saturday Night Live with their uh, uh, shorts, the little uh, what do they call those? The uh, digital shorts digital they do shorts, on Saturday right. Night Live. Andy Samberg uh, is the one that's been a Saturday Night Live cast member and been starring in a few other films. And then his uh, partners, both comedic partners, acting partners, they write and direct together, Akiva Schaefer and Jorma Tacone. So the three of them formed The Lonely Island is kind of their comedic group, if you will. They've put out comedy albums and they've done a lot of interesting video shorts before. This is a feature length film mm-hmm. and it is a uh, in the style of a documentary about a 
uh, musical group, They're kind of a pop group. Uh, their ups and downs, it really starts to focus on the one lead singer and kind of his solo career that follows shortly afterwards. Uh, I love films about music. Right. I love documentaries, good documentaries about music and musicians. But I also feel like that, uh, just like I think VH1 kind of maybe ruined this for a lot of people, there's that formulaic, we're going to follow the rise and fall and ups and downs of this musical career, and we're going to really over-dramatize parts of it. It's the whole behind-the-music Exactly, the behind-the-music Story thing. arc, yeah. And sure. I think that seemed to be where Popstar was going with this angle. Let's make a documentary about the rise, fall, and rise again True. of this musical act. So, Chris... The biggest question when you watch a film like this is got to be, was it funny? You know, it's going to, it's ripping on something that honestly, there's a lot of uh, things, either short films or feature length films that have kind of ripped on the same topic before of pompous stars and pop stars and music, the music uh, industry in general. So I just here to ask you, I mean, this, you've told me before the way we review a comedy is, did it make you laugh? So I'm asking you right now, did this film make you laugh? Right. And you know, not that all film criticism isn't subjective because, mm-hmm. you know, it's personal taste. But, yeah, with a comedy, that is kind of the, the barometer. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, if this is supposed to be a comedy, did I laugh and how much did I laugh? Yes. So, yes, I did, I did laugh. Okay. Um, I, liked, I liked this movie. I thought it was funny. I will say that if you are maybe overly familiar with The Lonely Island, maybe you have all their comedy albums and you've also seen all their digital shorts – I could see the criticism that this movie may wear a little thin for you mm-hmm. because you're kind of like, okay, yeah, you, you've kind of, you're over their shtick. And instead mm-hmm. of being a digital short, which is maybe five or 10 minutes, this is a, you know, hour and, hour and, half, and a half yeah. movie. Mm-hmm. So I could see how you could say it would wear thin. But for me, I kind of knew who they were. Um, but as far as their music, the only one that I really knew was the everything is awesome that they were responsible for for the Lego, the Lego movie. movie. Yes. Um, which they actually have a throwaway reference to in the movie, mm-hmm. um, which was cool. But yeah, I, I did laugh. And I think the barometer for me, for me was there's a song that's done early on in the film. That's finest girl parenthesis, the Osama bin Laden song or the bin yes. Laden song. You can find the music video for this on YouTube. Uh, it is not kid-friendly. This is a rated R movie. But if you go watch that music video and you find it offensive and you think it is dumb, don't bother watching this movie. Yeah, good point. However, if you find it offensive but wildly funny and mm-hmm. you laugh, then this movie is probably going to be funny for you. To me, it's, you know, because some things were, you know, they do kind of cross a line, but it's the type of humor for me that's, it's kind of like South Park humor mm-hmm. and they don't seem to be doing a lot of movies anymore, <laughs> but it's kind of that cause they've gone on to make Broadway plays, the South Park guys. But that's what this kind of is, is they're kind of a newer version of the Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Lonely Island is kind of taking that sarcasm, but being very clever and very talented with it and kind of doing humor on a different kind of plane. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I've, complained before about Mr. Seth MacFarlane mm-hmm. guy, a family guy who made that million ways to die in the West. And like yeah. that was supposed to be a comedy. Didn't really make me laugh that much. Thought it was terrible. You've seen both of the Ted movies. I um, know. Uh, I haven't seen the second. You one. haven't seen the second one. Just saw so, the first one. You know, yeah. So, you know, comedy is, can be very, you know, I guess more so than normal. It's very like personal taste. Yes, absolutely. So it did make me laugh. How about, Good. how about you? Um, it did make me laugh. 
I came away a little disappointed, but probably ah. because I had some different expectations. Okay. Um, I'm very familiar with okay. these guys' work. Okay. Um, the film MacGyver. Did you ever see, or MacGruber? MacGruber. I'm sorry, but did you ever see MacGruber? No, I okay. did not. Did you ever see Hot and, Rod? And you've recommended that on this show. Yes, I have. Okay. I have seen Hot Rod. Okay. And Hot that, Rod. Actually, that actually kind of made me a little worried about this movie. <laughs> yeah, Hot Rod will do that to you. I, I, I'm the kind of guy where I found enough humor in Hot Rod to still find it funny. Oh. And MacGruber, I think, is hilarious. You've, that was a movie recommendation that you've made on this show that I need to check out because yeah. I still have not seen it. I think those films are really funny. Okay. But the reason I like them, I guess, the reason I find them funny is when they go absolutely just ridiculous, like just over-the-top bonkers in some parts. That was what I felt like was kind of missing from this a little bit, is that I felt like it was funny, mm-hmm. and I found myself laughing many, many places. Okay. But at the end of the day, I felt like they also played it very safe and well, simple. It's the whole, I knew exactly where they were going to go with all the gags. I felt like, okay, yes. And of course, now they're going to show this kind of scene and make fun of this kind of thing happening. And it was exactly what I expected. And it was critical and it was funny and it had great humorous moments. But at the end of the day, I thought, you know, there wasn't anything in this film really much that to me were, was just Wow, I can't See? believe they went there, and I can't believe they did that. Okay, so. I I hear what you're saying, mm-hmm. but I think you're completely wrong. Okay, fair um, enough. <laughs> no, but I, I hear what you're saying, and I've heard I've heard that same criticism of this movie, and I think this movie is not interested in making. And you know, not that you're saying this, but I think a lot of people want like maybe look to go a little further to mm-hmm. have. Not that they're trying looking for a statement in a comedy. But I think they're just trying to throw as much out there and see what sticks. But the stuff to me that was a little deeper than what I was expecting was actually the Bin Laden song. Yeah. Because there's stuff there. I mean, yes, it's funny and it's offensive. But if you think about some of the things they're kind of commenting on about, you know, taking Osama Bin Laden down, like – there's some subtext oh, sure. there. Now, they're smart guys. Right. And I think there's right. a lot it's of It's not smart just an humor. offensive song or making, it's not like they're just making a song about a fart joke. Well, I mean, let me back up and say that so, I think, I thought the most ingenious parts and probably the most daring parts of the film were the songs themselves. Okay. I thought the songs were really good. Okay. So, In- interesting. Ahead. Interesting. You say that. Yeah. Okay. Cause now I disagree with that, but, <laughs> but um, okay. So I'm not ruining anything because I won't go yeah, into this. This isn't really a no, movie you got to worry no, about spoiling. Worry. But you know, there's, yeah. there's there's a Bin Laden song. That's all I'll say yeah. about it. I like that one. The very first song that I can't remember the name of it, but it's about gay rights. Okay, that's yeah, right. oh, I can't remember the name of it. That <laughs> song too has some stuff going on. Oh yeah, because there's, you know, he's coming out for gay rights and supporting <laughs> gay rights, yet. <laughs> constantly making comments throughout the song about how he's not Not gay. gay. Right. And so that whole thing, especially, you know, spoiler, Alan and I live in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. So with everything that's gone on in the state of North Carolina recently, watching that in a movie theater was very (laughs) interesting. Um, So, you know, it's, it is comedy. I did laugh and I did think in some ways, not pushing boundaries about making commentary about a pop star like Justin Bieber. Like, no, they weren't, they weren't pushing anything in that limit, but some of the other buttons they were kind of pushing, I thought were interesting. What I found mm-hmm. disappointing, and I would say was my disappointment for the movie, is kind of how you said the songs. Those two I thought were awesome, mm-hmm. but Mr. Connor For Real, yes. he is known for a song because he had a boy band called the Style Boys. Style Boys. Mm-hmm. And they got their big hit was Donkey Roll. Yes. <laughs> so, me being the typical movie viewer, you know, you hear about this, they kind of tease at certain points. So I'm like, okay. And you kind of know formulaic, 
they're going to have yeah. the performance sure. of Donkey Roll. I was really disappointed. Well, the song really wasn't that good. It's more about just this ridiculous dance move dance, that goes along with which it. Which, yeah. that didn't really impress me either. Yeah. So I think that was the thing. It's like, I, okay, my jaw dropped because I think... I want to say it was the first song before. I wish I could remember the order. We j- I just saw this recently. I only seen it once. But I think the Bin Laden song may have been first. There was a song that Adam Levine play like was in a hologram oh, yeah, with the, them, yeah, yeah, and it was yeah, a big yeah. concert thing. They did the Bin Laden pretty early on, and then it was the, followed pretty quickly. Was that the that. gay rights song? No, the gay rights was like when they were doing a flashback to them with the Style Boys, I think, oh, or okay. something like that, or him going solo for the first time. I oh, don't maybe recall. okay, yeah, but it was all pretty early. I will right. say the film. Loses traction for me towards the end. I huh. think by the end of the film, yeah. at that point, it, was, it kind of run its course a little it bit. Gets a the little songs were not as clever. Donkey. The moments were not as great. I agree with you on that. I thought the Mona Lisa song, which was just a Mona small Lisa. clip, was really funny. Mona Lisa so, was also good. Yeah. This thing, you know, it's kind of like the, I guess it fits because uh, Andy Samberg <laughs> is from Saturday Night Live. So we're doing the Chris Farley whole thing. Like, do you remember that moment? Yeah, right, yeah. But with a comedy, that's, that's the thing. Where and there were several that. scenes yeah. that made us laugh. Um, I will say that my jaw I, dropped yeah. when the Bin Laden song. I was like, yeah. "Oh my gosh!" And see, here's the problem for me: that is was, I had amazing. already heard the Bin Laden song and saw a video for it ah. because it was on Saturday Night Live just a couple weeks ago. They what? actually showed it as a digital short for that. So How I heard did, the song, they, and, and they just bleeped stuff. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Whoa. <laughs> but um, <laughs> okay. so I'd seen it. Okay. And I, always, I thought, yeah, that's really funny. So I guess when it got to it in the movie, it's like, oh yeah, there's that song again. So I was not. Hmm opened up to it the first time like you were in the movie that might have helped you a little bit more than it helped me watching the film question mm-hmm. we're going all over the place with this review but that's sure. kind of how the movie goes yeah the big moment also of the maze kind of this uh song they do with michael bolton oh yeah was that was that had that been done before on saturday Night i never Live? heard that one no mm-hmm. okay they had done a song with michael bolton as ah, a digital short okay few, maybe, several years ago maybe that's it was, was not that of. song though okay they just seemed to really enjoy doing things with michael bolton <laughs> <laughs> um, and who doesn't right I, mean, I, I will say i thought the movie was funny okay it's just i thought some of the jokes and the bits were just a little routine i just felt like it's like i thought any comedy any comedian could make this movie and I didn't see enough uniqueness that I was really hoping for the Lonely Island guys to add to the mix. There were a few moments that really just worked for me. I will say, I, I still think the funniest, not scene or moment, but the overall general subplot that I really just found fun was the one member of the of the group who was no longer with the group. Who's the farmer. Yeah. And I mean, at first it started out, it's like, of course, they're going to make him be this out, just out in the middle of nowhere farmer. And that's going to be so cliche. And I thought that was a little routine. <laughs> But as it started to progress and he's showing his woodwork that he's doing and then you realize what he's growing out in the farm with, it's just, it started to get a little more ridiculous. I'm like, that's what I wanted. That's, sure. Take something that is, could be a funny, simple subplot and really just start to kind of ramp it up a little bit each time you see it. That's what I wanted from the rest of the film too. And I didn't feel like I got it everywhere else. So overall, I still think it was funny. Okay. You know, I'll still watch it again when it comes on HBO or Netflix or whatever. Sure. Because it is funny and there were a lot of moments that made me laugh. I think Andy Samberg is a very funny individual. I like watching him on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I liked him at Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live. I really liked him in this movie as well. I just felt like, I felt like they were just playing it a little too formulaic and safe. Almost like, hey, you know what? The other movies we made haven't really made any money. Hmm. We need something that might be a little more open to mainstream. So we're not going to go too, too far with it in left field. Let's, 
let's keep it on that comedic, simple path. And I, it just didn't, it didn't appeal to me as much as I'd wanted to from that, but I still liked it. I'll, I'll give it a thumbs up. I'll give it a recommendation. Just <laughs> okay. not as strong as I kind of hoped maybe I would coming out of it. Well, let me ask you another question yeah. that I've, you know, we've talked about the music. We've talked about if it made us laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, something that I've picked up on with you know social media and Twitter, Twitter people talking about the movie, the number. Now, granted, this like you said, this is kind of a faux documentary. Yes. So you do have like interviews, or you do have right. But the sheer number of cameos that appear, like real celebrities, and, real and celebrities, yes. yeah, that appear in this movie. Some people have kind of slighted this movie for that. That it was kind of like a Where's Waldo, and there were just way mm-hmm. too many mm-hmm. and. I guess they felt it kind of took him out of the film because it was just like, you know, Andy Samberg has all this money. So he just pays all these people to be in his movie. How how do you feel about that? I didn't care for any of the real celebrity interviews at all. I mean, I don't think any of them worked. Okay. I didn't find any of them funny. I actually kind of, maybe that feeds into a little bit of that. I just wanted them to go more ridiculous with it. Mm -hmm. And I felt like maybe that was trying to bring it in and ground it more. Okay. So uh, they didn't, they didn't work for me. I didn't think much about them afterwards. Um, I think that's a little bit of that let's play it safe and let's make something that's going to get more people in the theater as opposed to let's really just go nuts Because you can go movie. and see Questlove talk about this fake band. Yeah, and I guess it's, the thing too, Chris, for me is, I don't know, I'm probably getting very nitpicky on this, but <laughs> it's, it, it's a simple matter of, you know, if if we're watching this film and we're we're watching Connor for real and we see how ridiculous the songs are, the <laughs> over-the-top performances, the stage presence – Everything, but yet you've got real people making comments about how great he is and how good looking he is and all that. It's like it was kind of just a conflicting style of humor. It's like I almost wanted there to be fake other music right. music stars kind of let being it exist in its own funny exactly. world. I think the fact that they blended to... that that real world and this fake world and it was odd because it's like you see Andy Samberg and Andy Samberg, my wife can attest, is never seen as a really really attractive guy i think he kind of plays this i don't know even in the film here you kind of get the sense that he's a little ridiculous looking most of the time sure but yet you have real female celebrities talking about how hot he is and good looking if they weren't real celebrities that we knew i probably would find that very ironic and funny but it's just that blending of things it just it didn't work i can see that and also, I think the film lost a little bit of its whole documentary feel after a while. There were so many scenes that were not shot or acted to be anything like a documentary. Right. It was very much, it would slip into just normal dramatic scenes. Mm-hmm. So I almost feel like they had a conceit and they're like, but they couldn't carry that conceit through the whole film. So let's just make the scenes we think are funny and it doesn't matter how they're shot or how they're presented. Sure. So a little bit of that, again, I just felt like they couldn't commit to this full documentary thing because that might have been a little more... Interesting, you know, but, but maybe also, too constraining on their humor, possibly. Yeah, but they also really wanted to do a fake documentary because that's a funny thing to do. So sure. it was it was a mixed bag for me. I still liked it and thought it was funny, but I just I, I really think it was capable of more. So okay, I, I will say a, a few things. I, I again, the three main guys, the Lonely Island guys, I think are really funny. Sarah Silverman. It's that's another problem. We've got some known actors playing parts, mm-hmm. but yet you're surrounded by all these other real celebrities playing themselves. So when you see Sarah Silverman on the screen, you're thinking, oh, it's Sarah Silverman playing Sarah Silverman. And no, she's playing a part, but it's right. not really like a part very different from herself. So, and Tim Meadows is the same way he's in the film too. So it just made it an odd, odd patchwork of, of film cliches and, and pieces. Well, the, and I, yeah, I, I'll, I'll agree with that. And I think, 
those were the, the, the strong parts for me were the parts where they were just letting it play out kind of like a typical comedy. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the, the stage numbers where they're performing and that was funny. And then some of the other jokes that weren't, I guess, done documentary style. Yeah. I, I agree. The interviews for me yeah. did, did nothing. Work. No, yeah. they did nothing. So it, it, it's fun. I think there's a lot of good talent there. I think there's a lot of good comedy moments inside the film. Oh yeah. It's yeah, just it's a, as a, as a film, it didn't work. I would rather watch individual scenes later <laughs> on that I thought were really funny and watch them as individual scenes than to watch the whole movie as a whole, I guess is the best way I could describe it at this point. Sure. Um, yeah. So it was, it was, I had a good time with it. It was fine. Uh, just, just, it could have been a lot more. It really could have. I'm surprised, you know, talking about it being successful or not being successful. I don't think the box office was that high. No, absolutely not. For this film, which kind of surprises me because, I don't know, I feel like summer comedy and he's made a big name for himself with these digital shorts and everything. I kind of thought this was going to be a really big deal and it's kind of... I just don't think their humor is matched with mainstream theater audience. Ah. I think they're very good and popular online in these short clips because they just, they know how to work that. I mean, I can think back to some of the digital shorts they've done on Saturday night live that I just think are genius. Hmm. And some of them are just so over the top and crazy. And there's a huge, huge number of people who love those online and will share them and retweet them and talk about them. I just don't think those are the same people that flock to the box office, to the movie theater to go see the latest movies that come out every weekend, you know? So I think it's a little bit, they're trying to form, put their comedy into a format that doesn't really fit their comedy as well. Well, I would, I would hate to think there again, went on record, not that big of a fan of hot rod, but, (laughs) but I would hate to see or to think that they don't have another film in them because I, I really, I really liked it. It was one of the funnier movies I've seen in a while. So I would, I would hate to think that, this is it for the lonely Island and they just go back to just making shorts and they'll never do another feature. Yeah, I know. And I'm hoping maybe the internet will be, I could see them doing something through Netflix where either oh, original okay. movies or shows or something, a medium where a younger generation that really is attracted to that kind of humor and they can do it in more different size segments and not feel mm. like it's got to be a one hour and a half or two hour long movie. Sure. Oh, I definitely think there's, they're, they're going to do more things. That's great. Cause I would be disappointed if they didn't either. Uh, but I just don't know if the traditional Cineplex 90 minute format is, is their thing. So, mm. you know, okay. that is pop star. Never stop. Never stopping. Chris is a, a little higher on it than I, I am, but both okay. of us are positive. I do think it's a funny movie and we're checking out if that is your, your cup of tea. So next we're going to switch gears and we're going to talk about the latest film from a writer and director, John Carney. The song is sing street. How come you're not in school? I'm a model. Cool. Do you want to be in a video for my band? See if you're in a band, sing me a song. Take on me. We need to form a band. What? Connor's going to band care. Oh, good Jesus. You'd play every instrument on my coin. Probably. Sure. It's all about the girl, isn't it? Yeah, we're back. And I just realized Chris just told me that. So I said the song is called Sing Street. It just goes to show you, Chris, I got music on the brain today, man. So this is all about songs and music today. So tell us a little bit about Sing Street. Well, Sing Street is, like you said, it's the third major film from John Carney. Right. I think he did one, you were telling me beforehand. 
but nobody's ever heard of it. So we'll just say the th- third. So we're going to say the third more known film. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it centers on a boy growing up in Dublin during the 1980s, and he's trying to escape his strained family life by starting a band. And he's starting this band solely to impress this girl that he likes. Yep. So um, that's the kind of the storyline for this film. John Carney, we you mentioned at the intro at the beginning of the show, known for Once mm-hmm. and Begin Again. You know, movie he does movies about music he's big into that not only that but he does movies about like independent musicians and forming bands we reviewed begin again on the show yes and we i felt i think you and i both felt that it was kind of like a weak hollywoodized imitation version of once yes i mean it was different in some respects yeah. but more or less I still liked it, but it just like I think yeah, it's almost like let's take once and let's make a more Hollywoodized, big but bigger budget with big star version of that kind of story. So we have Sing Street, which you could say you know has these more independent musicians. They're not in New York. This was set back in Ireland, like I believe once was. Yes. That, I so it's so. kind of you know back in Ireland. Does it fall into the trappings of predictability or style up wilds that John Carney does? Like, would you say, or does it, is it wholly unique unto itself? Mm-hmm. I'll, How did I'll you say feel this. this um, if you were to write out the plot of this film, just here's what happened. This character does this, this character does this. And in the end they end up here. Yeah. It's predictable. All right. You look at it and you read the, you read the plot line. You're like, yeah, okay. And it sounds like a very familiar story. And I've heard you reference Mm-hmm. Um, I think you've actually recommended it on the show, The Commitments. Right, yes, which I am going to be referencing again here okay. in a moment as well. So if I read the plot for Sing Street, it would sound very straightforward, standard, very pedestrian. I freaking love this movie. And I'll tell you, I love <laughs> this movie because, yeah, the story the story's pretty straight. The story's pretty simple. Yeah, boy attracted to girl, boy starts a band to impress girl, and then there's boy-girl issues, girls with somebody else, boy was trying to get the old mopey. You know, it's, it's, and then they, it all ends up in a place that you kind of expect it's going to be by the end of the movie. Sure. But I think the journey to get there was just a lot of fun to watch. And I, I, personally, I think this is John Carney's best film. I like it better than Once. Wow. And I'll say That's this. High praise. Because Once is good. It's really good. This movie just takes that same idea of connecting with music and it just adds a whole layer of not only fun, I think some interesting characters. I mean, once was great, but it really was focused on two characters. Sure. We have a lot more of a, we have a lot more of a patchwork of things to work with in this film. It's almost like John Carney said, you know, okay, once is great. I made a small, very, very low budget movie with like three camcorders and we did some great things with music. Now I'm going to go to begin again and I'm going to get this big budget and big stars and all that. And do it, and it's like, ooh, I actually don't like this anymore. I don't like that that happened. Which there's been some, there's been some talk. Yeah, scuttlebutt in the way. news. Yeah. So recently. I'm gonna scale back. Okay. I'm gonna go back to unknown actors. I'm gonna go back to a little bit more of a raw feel to it than what I had. So to me, it's almost like the perfect blending of the best things of those other two movies fitting into this third movie. Now, I, I think the music's great, but I'm probably very partial to that because I'm just a big big 80s music fan addict anyway so this has a, obviously was set in the 80s it's woven in a lot of external 80s music as well as some original songs that this band plays i think the lead actor is amazing uh, F- uh Ferdia walsh pilo 
Which is a very interesting name. Very interesting name. Never been in another film. This is his film debut, and I thought he was really good. Uh, I thought he was good as well. And I thought the girl playing uh, Rafina, his, the, the, the object of his affection, which is Lu- Lucy Boynton, she's been in other things, but I've never seen her before. And she's almost hypnotic, I think, after a while. She becomes a very interesting character in this film, where I really didn't expect her character to be that interesting when you first meet her. So... Yeah. It had a lot of stuff going for it, as well as just it has some really good music, really interesting characters. It was just a lot of fun in places, too. Had a nice mixture of humor with everything. Um, There are a few beats that were a little predictable, a few beats that are a little uh, didn't work as well for me, but they didn't distract me from the movie as a whole. I thought overall, and I really liked the way it ended, the last scenes and shots we saw, which were very... I don't know how to describe the ending without talking to you know, giving too much away about it. It ends pretty much where you expect it to end, but there's some choices made in the last few shots and just where that action's taking in that last scene. I thought it was just interesting. So yeah. overall, I really did. I love this film. Loved it a lot. What do you think? I'm I'm also a big a big fan of the film, and I I think like you're saying, I liked once, but I liked the music in once. Yes, and exactly. the film, you know, was kind of throwaway for me. Um, Begin again. I don't know. Some some bits of it worked, some didn't. So I was kind of. I think, like you're saying, it's the perfect Frankenstein monster yes. of John Carney stuff. And what what I really liked the humor best in this film because once yeah. it doesn't really have humor. Begin again did. It was a light. It wasn't as. It wasn't as. It didn't work as well. No. Yeah. But this, I, I really liked the humor in this film, and I thought the. The music was good, but what really struck me about it is, and you know, that it's about a teenager growing up. So what's funny about the music is it's not just like one style of music. It's not like they said, okay, we're going to do this movie, and this this little boy, these boys are going to try to basically do knock off U two. Yeah. So they didn't just write like a couple of U two songs, and that was it. Mm-hmm. No, but they would choose different styles. So they mm-hmm. kind of like try to do a Cure song, or kind of like a Talking Heads type song, or a you know, a hollow note. So it's not like the, the different songs that the boys come up with, maybe like a sad Beatles song kind of like, you mm-hmm. know, they do different styles all within. They change like the way their band looks. And it, <laughs> it was just, it was more complicated than it needed to be, but I appreciated that. Yeah, like they could have made, made it, it you know, yeah, you're right. It could have been that, Oh, we're, we're going to be a band and here's the kind of music we play. And let's see if we can get a big gig somewhere. And it, it, very formulaic. But you're right. There was just enough in there. And and then you add in the layer of uh, which you mentioned in the synopsis of the film. I mean, it is about really it's about this kid's family life. I mean, even though so much of it's focused on him pining for the girl, you almost get the impression he's pining for the girl because he sees that as a way out. A way out. Absolutely. And because you see his home life and there have been films that have depicted a more traumatic home life. But I felt like this was the most realistic I've seen in a while of a damaged home life right and what i appreciated also about this film and at first like you could say it's almost a knock it's a knock against the film that it instead of taking any of the themes that it kind of touches on and exploring more it just kind of lightly touches on them because it wants to be a happy uplifting Mm -hmm. film well in this instance though i appreciate the fact that they didn't hit on them too heavily and actually yeah his family his mom and dad are in a bad place they're you know Talking about getting a divorce or getting a divorce. He's in the eighties. He's in, in the mid eighties in Ireland. Economic problems. People are thing, leaving because they can't get jobs. But what that helped do for me, and it was in the opening scene, is you hear his parents fighting. Yeah. And he's sitting there trying to play guitar, 
and the lyrics he's coming <laughs> up with mm-hmm. are funny, but yet they're kind of upsetting yeah. because he's taking words that his mom and dad are yelling at one another and singing them. <laughs> Trying to weave them into a song. <laughs> weaving them into a yeah. song. And it's funny, yet it's kind of like, wow. It's an uncomfortable chuckle. You're chuckling right. because it's funny because the words <laughs> he's using, but yet you realize he's writing these lyrics because that's what he's hearing. Right. Like every day, probably. So Yeah, so it's yeah. that, but see, that to me allowed the movie t- for him to be that creative and for him to be able to come up with these different types of songs because from the very opening, it's like, He's taking his surroundings and he's putting that in and he's making it work. Yeah. Granted, is it believable that two guys can sit together and one starts singing, they just magically come up with all these music parts and they make a song. Well, maybe not, but this is a movie. Yeah. It's a a little stretch there. I mean, I think a lot of times when you see a movie about people making music, it it just seems way too oversimplified how (laughs) easy people make a song together. Right. And you know, this, this, this song, this movie, there was one scene in particular. I just thought, Okay, <laughs> come on. They really just sat down and all of a sudden they've come up with this really great pop song. It's like, eh, it's a little bit of a stretch, but you sure. know, I'm willing to go along with it. It's the way that scene was done, if you recall, where the two start playing this song and then all of a sudden the camera's panning around and the rest of the room's filled up with the, all the musicians. The band's magically It was there. enough of an interesting way of presenting that that I got the impression that time has passed well, and, actually, and they have written this song out and, and fleshed and it you out. And ske- you could excuse it too because the way that shot happened, it's like... Yeah, we know this isn't real. So we're mm. going to go ahead and show the, all the we're band magically coming in. We're just going to go ahead and be fantastical yeah. about it anyway. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I just, I just, yeah, I think you said it right. It was a perfect Frankenstein of his previous two films. And you're right about Once. Actually, the more I think about it, the music's what I love about Once. It's a good movie. And it's I like not, the two characters. Yeah. I like listening to them talk. It kind of has a little bit of a uh, before sunrise feel to it, that the two of them just getting in these long conversations True. and talking. Um. But it really was the music that made me like Once. Begin Again, the music was good. It wasn't as powerful as Once. Right. I still listen to the soundtrack. I still like some of the songs. Okay. And I will say Begin Again actually works a little better on second viewing because I did see it recently on Netflix. And it's it's a good movie. I mean, it could have been a lot worse. It could have been so (laughs) contrived and trite. And it actually, I think, worked pretty well. Okay. Um, But this pulled enough of the... A little deeper story, a little more interesting characters from Begin Again, and the music, the the nature of creating music out of Want, and made it just a really great movie here. So, well, I think I found myself wanting more story from the bass player and the drummer. Yeah, I know they were interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, because you know they they formed together this band, and basically it's the lead guitarist or I guess instrumentalist and then the lead singer that you kind of know and then the other members of the band are kind of they really become more like session players sure but they seem very interesting because the way they're set up you're like huh there's some interesting stuff going on there yeah but um yeah I I will say I'll go into a little bit of negatives I mean yeah I do I don't feel like it's a perfect film but I do love the film I will just say for the record I love this film the thing that probably bugged me a little bit and won't bug most people, but you mentioned the film, the commitments yes. kind of on the front end. And I love the commitments. It is one of my 20 favorite films. And I saw it in college and just was really taken by it. It takes place in Ireland. It's about a band that forms. They play more sixties, uh, soul music uh, than anything. And all covers and all covers. But they're a very talented band. It was the same idea. They were all true musicians. They didn't like lip sync and or uh, play sync or anything. I mean, it was truly right. them playing. 
and they go through their ups and downs as a band. There's a lot of similarities to the commitments, and there's a few moments where I, I don't mind that. I, I understand this is Ireland. I think the accent, the environment, the look and feel of everything around them kind of build some similarity between the two films. Because in the commitments, they were also living in a little more impoverished area and downtrodden, and they were just trying to find some way out as well. All right. There were just a few moments where it was almost a little too intentional lifting hmm. stuff from the commitments. You know, uh, there's a school bully at, at the Sing Street School, and uh, he becomes a part of the band in some way later on, much like a little bit of a uh, rough guy did in the commitments as well. So uh, same idea. I, I get the impression John Carney is probably a really big fan of that movie. Gotcha. So I'm okay with that. <laughs> but And I don't mind that you cast the same woman who was one of the singers in The Commitments as the mother in this film. Gotcha. That's a nice throwback so as well. you're saying imitation but is just the sincerest form of When you start pulling another thing in The Commitments, there was, there's a lot of motif of people approaching at the door. And the door opening and you're either meeting a new musician or interviewing uh, musicians yeah. and all that. There's a lot of that approaching the door Forget and opening that. the door thing and this thing too. Again, yep. it just seemed like it was almost a, I want to make a new version of the commitments, which yeah. I'm okay with. An 80s and version. And he might have gone just a little too far in pulling some of the uh, actual pieces from it. But again, that's such a minor point. Again, didn't distract me from loving this film. Just, I'm a, I, we're, we're doing film review here. We got to pick apart something. We can't just sit here and say it was great and just walk away. What? So what did you have some misgivings on the film? Some things that didn't work for you as well? Um, you know, no. Um, and it's interesting because during the course of the review, you made me like it more, but then talking about how much it reflects the commitments. <laughs> now you've made me like it less. So no, like, no, no, no. it's like Don't roller like coaster. No, not a whole yeah. lot less, but it's like, you've been roller coastering yeah. my opinion as mm. I've been listening. Um, I will say, um, two scenes that stick out and mm -hmm. I know they do for you as well, mm -hmm. but you know, it's like the scenes that I think are really good, um, is the performance that he does where it's supposed to mimic like the band scene from, or the prom scene from back, back to, the, to the, future. the future. Oh yeah. And, um, <sighs> yeah. And the, now, such a good scene now. Okay. I like it not because it has anything to do yeah. with back to the future, but because it's such an interesting use of what the guy has in his head yeah. and what is really happening. Just, I don't know. It's just a very interesting switch kind of in tone, but it doesn't take me out of the movie because no. it's important to what's happening. It, it's both an entertaining scene. And we're talking about just, he has a performance at one point um, and they're working on a video and he has a very distinct vision in his head of what it should look like. Right. Not as, and that's important what it looks like, but it's more important who's in it. Right. And you see his vision while he's performing the song of what he would love to see around him. That mm -hmm. would make him just so happy. And then it's heartbreaking at the end of the song when you realize that none of that happened. Right. And, well, you kind of uh, actually what, you know that. But what upset, what almost not upset me, but what took me back at first is they do kind of a little bit of a switch. And I thought at first, wait a second, yeah. it was light outside. Now it's dark out. That that there, mm. you know, there's continuity there, and then you're like. Oh no, yeah. I see what's happening here. And that was so cool. Yeah. Um, my second moment actually is, I guess a moment and a half. So they have this big performance mm -hmm. towards the end of the film and he does this slow song. And I totally thought I knew what was going to happen mm -hmm. at the conclusion of that slow song. And it didn't. Yeah. And that was awesome. And then oh, I'll tell you, even on that slow song, 
Another thing is that you 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 get the impression because it's a really good slow song. It is. You get the impression that it's going to be this big success mm-hmm. because all of a sudden he's like burying his soul to the audience. Well, and, and it's kind of it. risky because they've done all these yeah. fast songs. But at like, the end of the song, like two people clap. Right. And it's like you think to yourself, yeah, in a high school dance, that's probably what would have happened. You know, <laughs> no matter how good the song is, they don't uh, you want know, slow not connecting songs. with it. Yeah. Now and then right after that song. They play their last song of the night. Mm-hmm. Brown and, shoes. <laughs> yeah. And so the lyrics of that song and then kind of the, the rousing thing they do for the, their audience, just well, well played. I'll say with so, that, with that rousing thing they did and not to spoil that, but, uh, uh, you know, visually it was kind of cool to see like yeah. when it was panning the crowd and just what you saw out in the crowd from this little act that they were doing a little bit of an act of rebellion. Absolutely. And, uh, it was just, yeah, it was kind of, I mean, it was kind of a weird, creepy, but cool moment. So, which is why I liked it. Yeah. <laughs> creepy, so, cool. I'm all, I'm all over that. I just, I thought this film worked. Yeah. What did you think about the very end? I mean, I'm talking like right before the credits end. I mean, it, it was an interesting scene. And again, yeah. we're not going to spoil it. There were some moments in the theater last night. I know you and I just saw this tonight. I saw it for the second time. Sure. There were some moments in the theater last night where I think people were thinking the film was going to take a very, very, Dark weird turn. turn okay and it didn't nope but i thought that flirtation with it and just that little bit of moment of kind of keeping you wondering where it's going i thought was really well done i liked it a lot well and okay so without revealing anything we're not going to reveal anything about the end but that kind of tension was something that was there but then everything's okay there's some moments, the girl, you mentioned that, you know, you thought she was going to be a very one dimensional character, mm-hmm. Rafina. You thought yeah. she was just going to be kind of be the object of my affection. You have the typical roller coaster ride with the girlfriend yeah. in the movie. There's some subtext with her character, with kind of her history and her background. And they never really go into great True. links about it, but there's a whole lot there to mm-hmm. give kind of a background character or a supporting character that much subtext was really interesting. And then kind of the family members, this guy is kind of, he has a troubled family and Mm -hmm. he has a sister and a brother and they're, you know, upset by the divorce too. And all this stuff going on and the brother feeling like he's, you know, he dropped out of college and there's all this, you know, it's like you said, it's depression, Ireland. There's all this stuff there that could weight this movie down and make it really heavy. But instead it's there but the comedy and the hope of the film overcomes that. Well, but not in not in a cheesy way, I think. No. And so I, I respect that because I think if you do one of the two things, if you don't acknowledge it at all, then the movie just comes off as just being a fluff piece that's not interesting. If you make it really sad and depressing, then yeah. it may win some Oscars, but but it, mm-hmm. but it's sad and depressing. So well, you get the impression, I and I kind of equated a little bit to the Graduate. You know, in the Graduate, the very last scene. Uh, um, the two main characters run off together and they kind of end up on a school bus or something because they don't have any other means of commu- of transportation. And there's a moment where they're just looking at each other. Like they're just kind of staring off like, crap, what did we just do? Right. And I think there's a, there was a little bit of that moment at the end of this film too, with the two, with two of the main characters, the choices they've made. And I think both with the weather that's playing an impact on this final scene and just their their emotions were flipping between terror <laughs> and elation. Sure. And I think that just it all worked for me. It's like, okay, yeah, they're 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 going off into a very unknown direction at this point. And it's terrifying, 
but it's also satisfying. And just, I, I just thought that last thing kind of okay. worked, especially after watching it a second time. And what's interesting, they're getting so hard to talk about yeah. without spoiling We're doing things. pretty good, though, so far. We're, we're trying. Okay, that last scene and what happens on screen mirrors a conversation that Connor had with his brother. Oh, yeah. And what's interesting about that conversation, because we just watched this with an audience, is that conversation starts off with the brother saying some things and, you know, some of it's kind of funny it's a and, little then, funny. and then it gets a little more serious and serious and to where it ends with kind of him making this final statement and there's like dead silence in the yeah. theater. But some of the stuff he was saying, I mean, he was being kind of mean spirited, but it was kind of funny and it was kind of, the it's way a, it was, was a really good scene, but like he just kind of builds and builds and builds. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, Oh yeah. But like how that kind of happened and the mirror of that and that final scene, just interesting, clever mm. little things. So yeah, I'm actually liking this film more the more I talk about it. So, <laughs> so I've talked you back up. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I mean, it's never down. It's just, sure, yeah, sure. again, if I had to pick the one thing, if somebody said, well, what's wrong with the film? I'd say, well, the only thing is I just felt like it cribbed a little too much from a classic film that I love. But, yeah, not many people saw The Commitments. So maybe this is John Carney saying, hey, more people need to see The well, Commitments. I'll say, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm I'll say this, the fact that he cast that woman, like it has a cast member. Like, yeah. I feel like it's, it's not like he's not trying to acknowledge no, he's, it. He's I think he's proudly wearing it. on his sleeve. I think he would probably be happy as anything if everybody went out to go see the commitments. Sure. So, and even once his first popular film, I mean, got an Oscar nomination for best song. Uh, the lead actor was one of the band members. Of so the Glenn Hansard was Glenn Hansard was a bass player for the commitments. Gotcha. Had speaking parts and everything of the film. So, he obviously is a fan gotcha. of that and has a connection to that community as well. So yeah, that's Sing Street. Uh, I think we're both highly recommending the film. Uh, yes. I think it was a great, you know, I always judge a film that we show for our, our normal monthly screenings, whether I stay to sec- watch it the second night or not. <laughs> and I had plenty of work to do, Chris. I could have sat at the local Chinese restaurant and just worked for an hour and a half. I didn't. I'm going to pay for it tomorrow at work, <laughs> but uh, it was sure. worth it to watch this film again. So okay. yeah. Good. Sing Street is uh, still out in select theaters, I think, at the time we're talking. I don't think it's gone to online digital or anything quite yet, but probably won't be too long before you can get it online pretty easily. Sure. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll hit a few movie news items, and we will wrap up the show with our recommendation of the episode. You're listening to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. I'm with the band on TheMesh.TV, features regional music acts discussing their craft and live performances. Subscribe to I'm with the band on TheMesh.TV and swim around in the heads of your favorite regional musicians. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. You are listening to a podcast. And that's, that's right. Yeah, that's just podcast. just in case you stumbled across us somewhere and you found us on our website. Trust me, this is a podcast, and this is how podcast <laughs> works. We sit around microphones and we talk on a regular basis. What makes a podcast different than just guys pressing record on a computer and then putting the file up on the internet? Well, the difference is you can subscribe to a podcast, and that's because we're here every couple of weeks recording an episode. So if you're still with us at this point. You're probably finding something decent to enjoy from this conversation. Maybe just a little tiny bit. (laughs) We're not expecting you to love it all the time. But, you know, if you like it, we do recommend subscribe to the show. All that means is every time Chris and I sit down and record an episode, 
you're going to get it downloaded to your iPod, your iPhone. Do people have iPods anymore? Or is it just all phones? Uh, somebody probably does. Somebody does. If you have an iPod, you can do- download it to the iPod. <laughs> iPhones, iPads, um, Galaxy devices, uh, what, whatever else. Anything with an internet connection, more likely you'll find a way to play a podcast on there. But again, you want to subscribe to the show. That's what's key. And that way... You get it downloaded. You don't have to go search for it every time we put up a new episode. And it's just like recording on a DVR on your TV. It's always there waiting for you. Yes, you can hit the delete button if you don't feel like watching or listening to it. But it's there and it's your choice. And that's what's important. Here, go America. So that's (laughs) podcasting. That's on the mesh.tv. You can go listen to old episodes. We don't charge a dime for it. Go check out old stuff. Wait, we don't? There goes my retirement plan. I've been, Chris, I've been, I've been lying to you all this time. <laughs> You're not going to get paid from this. I'm sorry. I should have told you earlier. Um, but what you can do is go back and listen for free and share. And hey, if we have sponsors mixed in every once in a while, yeah, check those sponsors out. We'd appreciate that. That would help. But there are also other shows on the Mesh Network. So I will even say we had a new one that just started a couple months ago. Uh, If you're a sports fan, which I am for certain sports, I do like sports quite a bit. Uh, But we have a show called One More Thing, which is uh, hosted by Adam Moore. See how we did that with the name? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, he, in about 15, 20 minutes, a couple times a week, gives you everything you need to know about sporting news. Everything. If you want to know the latest thing in soccer that's going on, big news, he's probably talking about it. You want to know what's going on with the NBA finals? He's talking about it. And he's just a talented guy, so we're glad to have him on the network. So check that out. That's one more thing with more with two O's, M-O-O-R-E. But again, go to themesh.tv, and you'll see all the shows up there ready for you to download, ready for you to subscribe, and uh, give it a shot and let us know what you think. All right, so Chris, getting back to our – we'll go into our movie news now. This is what we typically do after we review a couple of films is Chris and I, you know, we have some moments during our busy work days. We may – pour through the internet and see if there's some interesting news that catches our eye that we want to bring to each other's attention. And we normally try to find ones that we think maybe the other person might have some passing interest in. Just go ahead and say that. So let me start with the first one. That's okay. Sure. Um, Chris, you and I were both big fans of the television show, Battlestar Galactica. Not the 1970s version. I enjoyed that. When it we're first came out, about, I thought it was like the bee's knees. But yeah, yeah. that doesn't really matter. We're on. talking about the reboot that sure. was in the 2000s. Yes. Um, this was, I want to say it was like in the 2000s decade. Uh, it hasn't been, it's been many years since it finished up that maybe show. Maybe like a run from like maybe 2010 to 2014 or maybe. No, no, I don't think it was that recent. No, I think okay. it was like 2006. Okay. Eight, nine, somewhere in there. Okay. I don't know. This is going to bug me now, so we'll have to look it up and see. <laughs> Regardless of what, you know, there's been two iterations of Battlestar Galactica. Right. The one that was kitschy and cool back in the 70s, and then there was the really, really good one that was done which re- didn't they? recently. And then they tried to do Caprica, which I kind of liked. I liked Caprica too, but it just didn't hold up quite as well. And then it, they only did that for like a season, I think. Well, as the movie industry is up to do, they're looking for a property. They are making a film okay. of Battlestar Galactica. Now, every indication I'm seeing so far is it's not going to be any kind of continuation of the series that was just in the last 10 years. Hmm. It will be a true restart new Battlestar Galactica. And this is kind of a little little connection point here. Weird because the series 
the newer series done in the 2000s that also kind of rebooted like a character starbuck was a woman instead yeah. of like so they did all this they wiped it clean up. and started so fresh. now they're going to wipe clean again probably so see i think that's going to be i can see why they don't want to continue the tv series but i think it's going to be hard to wipe it clean again in such a cool way you know like they they well, got a pretty high watermark well, that's me. the problem i see is that okay. You know, we talked about the Ghostbusters reboot at the last episode, mm-hmm. and I think you and I are both of the mentality of eh, give it a shot. Why give not? A shot, Who sure. knows? The difference there is that Ghostbusters was a singular movie. We're not even going to talk about Ghostbusters two because that sucked. The first <laughs> Ghostbuster was a singular movie, and now this reboot is happening almost thirty years later. Mm. I'm okay with that. Sure. I think the challenge. I actually think this is a little bit more of a treacherous situation in that the recent series was not that long ago. Oh no. It was pretty and it's still very fresh in people's minds mm-hmm. and it was very well respected. Yeah. Yeah. And it actually ended at a certain point. It didn't go on forever. It like kind of closed up after a certain number of seasons. So that becomes a little more treacherous and it being the second reboot already that right. we're talking about. Uh, it's kind of like what they're doing with the whole Spider-Man thing. I mean, Spider-Man, <laughs> we're getting into the third iteration. Now of the character people are, you know, can be a little jaded about that. And I don't blame him because we've already seen this happen twice now. When he says people, he means me. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. It's when Chris. I look up people in the dictionary, there's Chris's Chris. face. It's Chris is jaded. Chris. Yeah. <laughs> um, so HBO is, is working on a TV series that's supposed to be coming out next year called Westworld. Based on the Michael Crichton book, which was based also oh, a, a movie. movie came out of it sure. back in the 70s, I believe. Okay. Uh, didn't that have a uh, Yul Brenner in it? Yes. Yeah. Cowboy. Now they're making a more, they're kind of doing what they did with Battlestar Galactica and that Battlestar Galactica back in the seventies was a little, eh, it was a little corny, a little yeah. cheesy at times, Sure, but it had a good following mm-hmm. Westworld. Same thing. It was, it was a seventies movie, sci-fi movie. Now they're making a very prestigious, very, very solid version. I think even Anthony Hopkins is in it. Oh, and wow. the big, it's an okay. HBO series. It's going to okay. start up next year. The reason I mention this is that the person who's been writing Westworld for HBO has been set to adapt Balsar Galactica now into a film for Universal. Hmm. Brian Singer was attached to direct it at one point. <laughs> Let me guess. Now after Apocalypse, he's not. Yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, the quote in the variety just says, but he has since moved on. <laughs> Unquote. <laughs> uh, right now, the studio is talking to the Hunger Games director, Francis Lawrence. Hmm. Which, you know, I, I mean, the first couple of Hunger Games movies were okay. I did not see the last two, so I can't really comment uh, on how it went from there. But yeah. um, uh, So anyway, that's where we are with Interesting. it. You know, I, I hate, I do not, like we talked about last episode, I don't want to be that guy that says, no, don't ever remake. That's bad. That's bad. Because there's been some really good things that have come out of remakes. Absolutely. If I had said that about the Battlestar Galactica series, you know, before the new one came out, then I never would have seen the great series th- that it was. I think what you and I run into, it's not that we don't we don't appreciate reboots or we don't appreciate people doing new things. We like original material. Sure. And so that's the thing. It's like we hate to think that they're just like the Ninja Turtles. Like they have new Ninja Turtle movies and they've already had Ninja Turtle movies. And it's like, are you going back to that because you think there's good material material there? Or are you going back there just to try to make some money? Because we lose the rights to these characters if we don't right. make and a so film with it every re- five like, or seven that's years. That's the whole Spider-Man thing. Yeah. It's like, as opposed to Battlestar Galactica, which I feel like they went back to that material because they said, you know what? There's some interesting mm-hmm. stuff we can do. And there was a story there that supported like a reboot. Kind of like, 
you know, James Bond, when they did the Daniel Craig thing, they kind of rebooted that, but it was like, let's take all the mythology and kind of reshape it. And they did, and it was very fruitful and it really worked. Mm -hmm. So it's not that we're against people doing it. We just, it's tough when the, when the best version of that property was the last version and it was within the last 10 years. Right. But we're not saying, you know, it's not like with you saying the Ghostbusters thing, people just say, Oh, don't redo it. It's like, no, 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 no. I want them to do it. Right. I just, I'd be very curious to see if we're going to get something of the similar caliber that we got with the TV show. Sure. Hey, if they match the caliber, I don't care if they give us new versions of characters and whatever. If it's, if it comes anywhere close to that level caliber in a 90 to 120 minute version, I'll be happy. So we'll just see. I just, it's just always a little trepidatious when it's got these fairly recent properties and you never know what the intentions are, like you said. Sure. Sure. So Chris, what have you got for us news wise? Well, we recently talked about Mr. Paul Thomas Anderson. He, Which uh, I did finally see that Radiohead uh, uh, video he did. Very good. Good. Yeah. good. Daydreaming, mm-hmm. yeah. And I like the song, too. So um, so he's, you know, that's what he's been doing with his time. In addition, he made a documentary about um, Johnny Greenwood. He did a project. But he made kind of a music documentary, but he did, did the video for Radiohead. But you may be asking yourself, what's Daniel Day-Lewis doing? You know, he you know had, I mean, in all seriousness, that's actually a really good question. What is he doing? Well, so, you know, he's been kind of quiet since 2012 when he did Lincoln, of which he got he's a nod. Still, he's still method acting Lincoln which, right now. Probably. <laughs> which is um, why he's really Which, you know, quiet. he got an Oscar for yeah. Lincoln. And before that, he got an Oscar in 2007's There Will Be Blood there with Paul blood. Thomas Anderson. Yes. Well, now we know what he's been doing other than probably method acting um, – <laughs> Mr. Lincoln, mm-hmm. he has been trying to method act what it would be like to be involved in a film that is about the New York fashion industry in the 1950s. Supposedly, okay. he has been working on a script. Anderson is rumored to be directing. Oh, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis is working on a script? Yes, with Paul Thomas Anderson kind of like mm. back and forth. But it's supposed to be centering around of the New York fashion industry in the 1950s and it, you know, be the first film since Lincoln 2012. He's teamed back up with Anderson. I didn't realize that Daniel day Lewis hasn't been in a film since 2000 since Lincoln. Yeah. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. And you know, it's a four year gap there because it's 2016. I don't think it's anything's going to really start shooting until 2017, mm-hmm. but um, just be interesting to see these no, guys team up again. because Daniel day Lewis, I really like him and he does different roles, but like, I don't know. It would be, you know, if he's willing to make a film and then he's going to team up with Paul Thomas Anderson again, New York, like anybody else, if you just said New York fashion industry in the 1950s, um, not interested. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's just like, I, I think I, I there's would, something there, probably, but it has to be the right director doing right, it. Right. The right director and Daniel Day Lewis is going to be like, okay. You know? Yeah. And all of a sudden I'm interested. I'm, yeah. I'm definitely interested in that. So. Huh. You know what? I actually caught back up with parts of Inherent Vice again recently, just just because I was so mixed on that movie the first I, time I, I saw it. I was mixed on it. How I watched parts of it again. It's good. Okay. It is. I think it's I think once you've had time to let it settle a little bit and go back and revisit it, it's it's good. It's still not one of my favorites of his in general. I could think of three films right off the bat of Daniel D or of uh, uh, PT Anderson's I like a lot better. But it's good. I mean, it's definitely got some interesting things going on there. So it's worth checking out again. See, I'd, I'm hoping that P.T. Anderson can bring me back in the fold. Yeah. Because he, he, you know, we've talked about him before. I really. You didn't care for the master. No. And you weren't terribly high on inherent vice. 
I was not high. It's been. It's you been, were actually kind of really disappointed with Inherent. Yeah, it's Vice. been sliding for me. I love the master. The Inherent Vice. I, I. It took me a while to really grasp it. So. See, I, my favorite film, and I know you really like Boogie Nights. Yes. But my favorite film of his was Magnolia. Magnolia. That just. Made well, me. those two, to me, that was the perfect back-to-back films for a filmmaker. You know, I love both of those films, and I could watch either of those any day of the week again. So. Yeah. No, he's. He's a little slip for us, which I know we're kind of in the minority because so many people love There Will Be Blood. And I, I thought it was good, but I just didn't quite grasp onto it like everybody else and all the film, other film critics' world did. I think, what, I think what I miss about Paul Thomas Anderson is he's a really talented director and he weaves together stories. But Boogie Nights was recent history and then – you know, Magnolia was like present day. So master, there will be blood. And then the thing that gives me worries about this other one is it's mm-hmm. a period, they're period pieces. And I tend not to respond to those as strongly. Mm-hmm. So okay. I think if Paul Thomas Anderson were to do another current day movie, I think I'd probably, you like punch truck love, right? I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah. That was, so that I think that's like mm-hmm. that. Maybe that's something about him mm-hmm. making more period stuff. I don't respond it's to as strongly, I but it could be. All right. Well, we've been, uh, We've been talking our little smaller movies. I mean, Popstar didn't do a whole <laughs> lot of move, uh, money at the box office. True. Sing Street, very few people will probably see, unfortunately. Even the Battlestar Galactica, I don't see that if they reboot it. It's going to be a huge blockbuster. I think it's going to be more of a niche sci-fi film if they do it. And then, of course, P.T. Anderson, Daniel D. Lewis. We're not talking box office bonanza stuff here. <laughs> so let me bring it home with one story that's a little bit of a bigger budget thing Smurfs to do with. Smurfs 3. Yeah, right. Um, so Rogue One, a Star Wars story. There's been some concerns voiced about this film, just which is surprising, but supposedly they've gone back to reshoots. Now, reshooting, what that means for anybody who's kind of curious about that. Basically, they've shot the film, they've put the film together. They showed it to a bunch of studio heads and maybe test audiences or whatever. And normally when you hear a film's going back for reshoot, it means something's not something's working bad. in the film. Right. And we've got to go back. Now, this film comes out in December this year. Like right. that's like six months from now. Did the same thing with Suicide Squad. Yes, it did. And now the 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 angle they're taking, and of course, you know, the studio marketing and PR has to damage control all this. Absolutely. If word gets out that oh my gosh, the Star Wars film is going back for reshoots, they did reshoots on Force Awakens. They did reshoots on Force Awakens. Absolutely, they do reshoots on a lot of movies. I've heard that supposedly now it's pretty much a set thing, and I think they say maybe Marvel is the one who kind of started this. Where they put, they have a line item in the budget for reshoots. reshoots. Well, the idea is that you go back, you get some test audience reactions, and people say, you know, I liked it, but I wish this romance was more pronounced. And they all do their little corporate think tank. They sit together and they say, <laughs> oh, I think our revenue on this box office will go up 18% if we put 30% more love story in the film. And they go back and shoot more love story. It's a business. It's what you do. You know, you these aren't these aren't uh, independent auteurs just going out making their films. Right. I don't know how much reshooting PT Anderson does, you know. Who knows? I don't know right. if John Carney with Sing Street had to go back and do a lot of reshoots. But typically for the big budget for, movies, you just expect that when you're be doing some franchise stuff, you're just going to yeah. kind of know. Because there's a whole lot more masters you're reporting to right. them to get this movie Absolutely. right. Absolutely. I think the news came out about this just because people are 
you know, Force Awakens was so well received and did really well box office and all. So I think there's a little bit of this. Okay, so here we are. Here's the downside. We are going to have a kind of a lesser movie coming out this 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 winter. So when they hear there's a lot of reshoots, the rumors at one point were as high as that 40% of the movie was being reshot. Wow. That's the rumors. Now, nobody's confirming that anywhere from the studio, but suppose a lot of it's being redone. The biggest issue that it, the rumors have said why they're going back to reshoot is that there wasn't really any sense of fun in the movie. Mm. The rumor I heard is that... So it's this, like Batman versus Superman. Yeah, basically, except... <laughs> What I've heard is that this basically this movie came out is a war movie. Like mm. it's hardcore war. It's not very fun. It's not very light. It doesn't have that same sense of humor that sometimes Star Wars will just weave into movies. Not counting the prequels, which I didn't find anything funny in those. But <laughs> Jar Jar? Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's a little bit of they saw, you know, Force Awakens was this huge mammoth hit, one of the biggest grossing films of all time. And I think part of the reason audience is connected to it because there's a real warmth and characters and comedy, humor mixed in. Right. So I think they're just concerned that they release this film and it's just serious and very gritty and very dark. Hmm. So what I'm hearing is they're going back to add more, add 16% more light and fun to the film. Nice. Um, I just, all I can hear just like on the Simpsons, the, the, TV studio executives talking right. about how we need to ramp up the edginess by 8%, you know, add whatever. Poochie. Yeah, whatever. Add some poochie to the film. <laughs> so anyway, there supposedly Christopher McQuarrie, who wrote the script for The Usual Suspects, wrote in direct Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. He's come in with some new script work and he's helping co-direct the reshoots. But then that rumor got shot down as false. I mean, all this stuff is... Gareth Edwards, right? Yeah, Gareth Edwards is the main director. It's Godzilla, man. Yep. There have been rumors that uh, J.J. Abrams has been kind of come in to help a little bit. Mm. So who knows? Nobody knows what's right. I hope this doesn't affect the way we perceive the film going into it. That's all I'm saying is I hope that this is not going to give such bad negative vibes to the movie that in any way it impacts its performance. It's a good film. We may have discussed it or maybe not, but... I liked the trailer. <laughs> no, the trailer was really good. Yeah. It was effective, but it was also a very simple teaser trailer. And I could see, there again, having to judge from a trailer, that it did kind of have kind of a dark tone to it. But to mm. me, what I thought was cool about these, a Star Wars story, <laughs> is instead of being in the mainline trilogy, but being the spinoffs, was that it could kind of have its own... Mm-hmm. Feel so style. Yeah. To me, that's a little disappointing. That now they're like, "Well, you went a little bit too far left field. We need to bring you back in." Towards and again, the- all rumors so at this all point. Rumors. So I- all rumors. I hope that they're not changing the tone of the film. I'm actually kind of excited about seeing a really gritty Star Wars war film. Right. That's exciting to me. I'm with you on that. I don't need to have, you know, Ewoks in right. the movie. I don't need to have comic relief in the movie either. I'm okay with it being an edgier, serious one because I know, hey, if that's not your cup of tea, if that doesn't work for you, guess what? In 12 months, you're going to have episode eight, which right. is going to carry on pretty much exactly what you got out of episode seven. You're going to get out of episode eight. Right. Um, so anyway, I just think it's interesting how I'm sure right now the I'm sure the PR department for this mm-hmm. film is having to work overtime, overtime to make sure yeah. that they quell any concerns because there's probably a formula somewhere that says. This many negative stories that get published affect our box office by this many million dollars. You know, something that concerns me, if you're talking about PR departments working overtime, mm-hmm. 
is I've been watching a lot of the NBA, kind of carrying on the same line. I've been watching a lot of the NBA finals. Oh, really? And they have been doing spots for the Ghostbusters movie. Mm-hmm. But they're not showing the preview. They're showing like Kobe Bryant is now a Ghostbuster or they're oh. showing Spike Lee and some New York Knicks people getting into Ghostbuster uniforms. And not that I mind it, but it's just kind of like I'm afraid they're trying too too mm-hmm. hard. Mm-hmm. It's like just let the criticism, just let the movie come out and kind of speak for itself instead of trying to justify like, no, guys, we're still cool. Look, here's Kobe Bryant. He's, he's jumping on board. And it's just like. Well, and here's Spike Lee, and he's willing to like do a shtick, and I'm just like, I don't know. Well, you know, the, the, that actually kind of makes me worry a little bit. Well, <laughs> you feel like if they're trying so hard to market a film that it's like they're trying to, all they want to do is get that big opening weekend opening box weekend. office, and they know it's going to drop sixty, seventy percent the next weekend. So, right. go and get all the money they can up front before any bad word get out about the film. It's a shame, you know. I mean, everybody's still playing to that first opening weekend. Sure. Nobody really expects their film to be there for the long haul. Nobody expects it to be a Titanic where it's just going to be in the theaters for like 12 weeks and just keep building on revenue instead of going down. So everybody's playing to the first opening weekend. And it sucks because there's a lot of really good films that need some exposure in the multiplex. But because it's all about how many screens can we get that movie on the first weekend, let's pack it in there and then let's let it drop off pretty quickly after that because people start to realize it's no good. Well, and I'll say just a real quick note because we've gone all over the place with this new segment as well. Mm. That's what happens when we have these late night recordings. It's just we have no barriers. That's right. We have no time restraints. That's right. We can keep recording all night. forever. Nobody makes us stop. <laughs> we'll have a 10-hour podcast. During that work day, <laughs> it's just, you know, the man sticking it to That's us right. and telling us we got to stop at quitting time. But no, we're free and loose tonight. We talked about Popstar and how it didn't make a lot of money and, you know, but it's still in theaters going on another week. Nice guys. Yeah. We reviewed that film and it disappeared mm-hmm. really quickly. Yep. And I, I listeners at, at year end, if that film comes up, you can't tell people that you didn't hear about it or you didn't know about it. Cause mm-hmm. we talked, to we you talked about, about it. I, I feel like that film was a lot better than the two week run it had here in Hickory, North Carolina. Oh, now, absolutely. Other places that may have stayed around longer, but I actually saw comments with, some you know movie critics being like, hey guys, this thing's going to probably leave this week. You better get out there and see it because X-Men Apocalypse is going to come yeah. in and wipe it out. Well, so. and, and, and Chris, I know we are expanding a bit again. It's late night. Why not? That's right. This is what makes me worried about the movie industry. Okay. And, and which is why when people bemoan the fact that people are going to start watching movies in their home, I understand why. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why. It's because I can't go to the local multiplex and see Sing Street which would probably play decent on a single small screen at our multiplex for a couple of weeks. Right. It's because, nope, we got to get Batman versus Superman on eight screens. Oh, now we got X-Men Apocalypse on eight or 10 screens. Oh, Civil War. We got to get that on. Which it's all just about that opening weekend, unfortunately. And they're trying to stop any negative word of mouth from getting out. Right. Because they know if it gets that, once it gets out there, they're going to lose it that second weekend. Sure. And that's what just makes me sad because we're losing the opportunity to see a lot of great smaller films because of this glut of wanting to build up the first weekend for films instead of just letting them run a nice leisurely course for six or seven weeks. Right. Um, I used to, I remember the days when I went to go see Return of the Jedi and it was sold out. I mean, it was on a single screen at the local small movie theater. Sure. If you didn't get a ticket to it, you just got to wait for the next screening. And I didn't see it until the second weekend it came out. 
But nowadays, movie theaters, that just terrifies movie theaters to think that you come to the movie theater and it sells out. Let's have as many screens showing it as possible, even if it means we crowd out some of these smaller films. So It's a shame. I, I'm excited for the fact that, yes, I can still go to the multiplex and watch the big movies. But I hope before too long I could press a button, pay some money, and watch Sing Street on opening weekend at home if I can't watch it at the movie theater. So, anyway. True. Are we still in news? Are we? Is that what we're doing? I think we're. Okay. I think that was our section, but we're now I think news. we're done. Yes. End news. Um, <laughs> we're going to move on now to the last segment of our show where we do our, our uh, recommendations. So the idea here is uh, these are films we're recommending. So we are saying that these are films you ought to check out. Either something we caught up with recently, or maybe we just remember from our past. Um, or we thought it was a film that just flew under the radar for a lot of people and didn't get a lot of attention. Uh, and the goal is to make sure that these are films that you can get access to somehow. So hopefully you don't have to search very hard to find them either online or through some other sources. So Chris, w- w- I did the last news item. So why don't you go with the first recommendation for sure. us? Sure. So 2015 had a lot of good films. One mm-hmm. of them that came out that I did not see until recently was Carol. Oh, you did catch up with that. Um, I did Good. finally catch Good. up with it. It was Todd Haynes' film starring Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara. Mm-hmm. Um, set back in the 50s, yes. maybe. Mm-hmm. But an aspiring photographer um, woman who works in a shop mm-hmm. develops a relationship with another woman who's in an unhappy marriage. Yes. What struck me about this film, just, you know, there again, period pieces. I'm kind of on record not being that big of a fan and... I don't know. I just heard about the movie and even though I'd heard it was good and the acting was supposed to be really good, it just never, I was like, uh, I'm, you know, I'm just not really that interested. Well, I finally caught up with this film and I can recommend it. The acting of course, by Kate Blanchett, she's mm-hmm. good in everything she does is, is good. Rooney Mara was really good, but what I'm really recommending it for is the cinematography. Yeah. The mm-hmm. cinematography in this film is so cool and like just really sets the tone. And it's not just, beautiful looking cinematography is in like lots of landscapes or something Mm. like that. No, it's just people's faces. And then actually the lighting is really interesting where they show people in a department store, things are kind of, there's kind of like a green tone. And then when there are moments of like happiness, they have this kind of rosiness to Mm -hmm. them. Like it's just lots of interesting stuff with lighting and cinematography and like Mm. in family settings, it's one way. And it's just really Interesting well, there's a lot of use of film grain as well, grain, too. Like, yeah. you know, just some moments where there's some real texture in the film, too, which just gives it a really unique look. I so like the, that as well. So to me, it was just, and it was nominated for cinematography. I don't mm-hmm. believe it won. It did not. But um, it just really was very interesting from like some of the very opening shots. I was like, whoa. And like that actually, in a way, it was kind of distracting at times because mm. it was so well done with like there's scenes of people in cars and in taxis. And in some frames you'll see them where they have, you'll see their face in like the big pane of a backseat window. And then they'll show you with like their face kind of Mm -hmm. cordoned off in like the smaller pane in the backseat. It's like they're being forced into a smaller space. And I don't know, just lots of little comments that are being done with the cinematography that I thought was really interesting. So if like me, you heard about Karen, and you're like, eh, man, I'm not that mm. interested. I would say, you know, maybe give it a it's shot a nice and check surprise. it out. Because it's a nice surprise. I 
and the cinematography is yeah. really good. Of course, the acting's good, but the cinematography, there was a lot to look at on screen as far as what they were doing with the camera. No, I completely agree. I think I may have mentioned it really quickly in passing at some point when we did our Oscar recap, kind of talking about the things there. No, Carol was a great surprise for me. I really had no desire to see it when it came out or was not terribly interested. Only saw it because it was nominated for some things. And I wanted to be a completist with my, my viewing. But yeah, Carol was a great surprise. And I'm going to do something that we don't normally do. I think you've recommended TV shows before. I have. Um, I'm because I'm a rule breaker. You know, you can't, you can't, you can't pigeonhole me. So I'm gonna. So I recommended a movie, but I'm also gonna recommend a book about mm. movies. Okay. Um, I just finished reading this. This may be a first, by the way. I think Go it ahead. is. Um, it's the Wes Anderson collection by Matt Zoller Seitz, and mm. what he's done at the time when this book came out which is 2013, so it's before Grand Budapest Hotel. Mm-hmm. He starts back with Bottle Rocket, and he does all the movies through Wes Anderson's filmography. He does a, a short little review, and then he'll do a conversation Q&A with Wes Anderson where he like asks him about each film. Hmm. And in this book are all these production stills and then like hand-drawn drawings of like um, storyboards that Wes Anderson's done. For like Fantastic Mr. Fox, you see like production models and all mm. this stuff. You can really geek out to all the production, which if you've ever seen a Wes Anderson film, which if you're listening to this <laughs> podcast, you probably have. Probably have. You can tell how much production design and costume mm. design and all the intricacies that go into one of his films. And to me, I like Wes Anderson. I like his films, some more than others. Mm. But after reading this book, I really want to go back and watch all of his films because I just, you can really appreciate this guy puts a lot of himself, not that every filmmaker doesn't put themselves in the movies, but his movies, like you're just like, Whoa. (laughs) And just, there's things in the movies, even the ones that like, for example, the Royal Tannenbaums, I really like that movie, but reading some of the background and some of the production stuff that went into making that movie, I'm like, Whoa, I'd never thought about that. Mm. I never, haven't seen that. I want to go back and see all the Easter eggs that he's placed in the movie. Oh, wow. So that's yeah, great. I can't recommend the book high enough. It's the Wes Anderson collection by Matt Zoller sites. And actually he did. So, you know, did this book and then he came out with a book that was just grand Budapest hotel. Mm. And I haven't read that one yet, but I'm well, going to say grand Budapest like is pretty heavy production. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. Every time I mean, I've seen it, I catch more things I didn't notice before. Um, just out of curiosity, favorite Wes Anderson film? See, I need to go back and watch them again because now I think if I could watch them closer together, mm-hmm. I would have a, a better answer. Um, I'm going to probably say, I'll, I'll say The Royal Tannenbaums. Boom. I yes, think. you are correct. That's, that is <laughs> right. it. Yeah, um, it is The Royal Tannenbaums. But I like, I think if I were to go back and watch Life Aquatic now, because mm. I... I was let down. That was like one of my least favorite. Yeah. But I think if I were to go back and watch it now, I would appreciate a lot more what it's Well, I, I need to, I've seen Life Aquatic a few times. It, it's good. I have moments I really admire. Uh, the uh, the Dar- train one. Dar- yes. The Darjeeling Limit is the one I need to go back and watch again because okay. I watched it and was not I think I'm one of the that. rare people that I really liked that movie. Yeah. And now after reading about it, I really need to go back and. That one just, I, I I just remember going in with such high expectations and watching yeah. it and walk, walking away saying, yeah, just didn't work. At that point, that was where I was kind of saying, 
you know what, Wes Anderson, maybe you need to start doing a different type of film because this is getting a little much. But which, then, and then he did Fantastic Mr. Fox. He did Fantastic Mr. Fox, which was great. Mm-hmm. He did Moonrise Kingdom, which I really liked. And then he did Grand Budapest Hotel. And I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, now you can keep doing whatever you want to do, Mr. Anderson. Please don't listen to me anymore. And his next so. one is Stop Animation again. Is it really? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. I, I'm I'm fine with what he's doing. <laughs> I'm fine with it. <laughs> I really did enjoy Grand Budapest Hotel. That To me, that was after Royal Tenenbaums, Rushmore, Fantastic Mr. Fox, in Grand Budapest Hotel. Those are like, gotcha. to me, that's the best films he's yeah. done. Can see so that. it's about half of his film collection I really think are great. So can see that. Okay, well. So what's your recommendation? Shoot, well, after talking about Wes Anderson, this one feels like a little bit of a letdown. Uh, it's a good movie, and I'm recommending it just because of some of the choices they made with it. But I will say it's not a perfect movie by any means. Are you doing I, draft day again? Yeah, draft day two. I'm going to talk about the sequel, awesome. Kevin Costner Returns. No, this is a yeah. You know, I did draft day last time, and that wasn't really my highest recommendation either. <laughs> I've recommended all of the really good movies I've seen that we haven't talked about in our show already. So I'm kind of I'm going to need to either rejuvenate my my recommendation list, or I need to like just really pack in some more movies to watch in the next few go. weeks. But anyway, seeking a friend for the end of the world. This uh-huh. is uh this is with Steve Carell. And uh, and Kira Knightley. Oh, See my connection, Kira Knightley. Again. Because from Begin Again, she was in that film. There we go. Um, and that's probably why I ended up watching this because I thought, you know, Kira Knightley, she's been getting some crap lately from John Carney on <laughs> on the news. I mean, he basically said he wouldn't work with another quote supermodel, which is what he was referring to Kira Knightley as. Uh, and then other directors that have worked with Keira Knightley have come to her defense on Twitter and other places wow. saying she's a consummate professional. I don't know what John Carney's talking about. She's so <laughs> great. John Carney was complaining about her entourage and having all these people around her when he was making the movie. Hmm. I think she's the reason he went to Sing Street and said, yeah, I don't want to do a big movie anymore. Okay. I want to go back small. Anyway, all that Interesting. Aside, she is in this movie with Steve Carell. Uh, basically, an asteroid's coming to Earth. It's a foregone conclusion. The earth is going to be blown up in like a few days. So this is about a guy who kind of having to deal with that situation along with just some overall depression on his own. His wife just ups and leaves him for having an affair. Uh, He doesn't have any kids. I mean, he's just really alone at this point, waiting, ticking away, waiting for the earth to blow up. This is a comedy. Well, that's where I'm going to get to with this discussion. Okay. It was marketed as a comedy. It's got Steve Carell in the lead. You think it's going to be funny. And I will say the first half of the movie, it's a very, it's a very uh, witty humor about the situation. Hmm. Like every time they show a news report where the, the news reporters are talking about this end of the world, if you watch the, the scroll along the bottom, the little CNN headlines are really funny because you could tell the guys in the control booth just don't care anymore. <laughs> so they're making like really like deadpan comments about, you know, we're all screwed type of thing. Huh. So it's real humor in the mix. And there are some scenes that are very funny. Um, basically this character uh, that Steve Carell plays, whose name is Brad. No, I'm sorry. Dodge. He has a weird name. Dodge. Dodge. I don't know why they did that. <laughs> Dodge. He's going through some kind of depression. And of course the world's getting ready to end. That would cause depression. Yeah, he meets uh, a neighbor in his building, Penny, played by Kira Knightley, who's a little more free spirit and just has a very unique take on life. And find, they find out that they actually have a little bit of connection between them. She's done something that has really negatively impacted his life that they didn't realize. Hmm. And by now knowing this, they're going to go on a road trip to see if they can fix this situation. Hmm. Um, 
So the first half of the movie is really interesting. It's a little quirky. It's got some good comedy to it. They go on a road trip, and on this road trip, they meet some interesting characters, which makes the film really kind of bizarre. Hmm. There's actually a scene where they stumble across a restaurant out in the middle of nowhere, where basically the people who work there are so resigned to the fact that the world's going to blow up that they just decide that they're just going to make everything over-the-top party fun humor in this restaurant. And it's bizarre because you go in and it's just they're having conga lines nonstop. They're like it starts to turn into almost like an orgy in this restaurant just because these guys are just like we just don't care. We're just going to have fun at our place now. Like TGI Fridays on crack is basically what this place has become. Okay. So it's got some really good funny moments. But what I want to say as a recommendation is that the the last third of the movie, it's very serious and it's very sad and it's very emotional and it's very hmm. love story, but also with a really you know depressing ending. So I kind of watched the end of the film being like, whoa, I'm kind of surprised they ended that way because I totally thought from the first half of this movie, they were going to find some way to bring it out to a really happy, satisfying, uh, maybe crisis averted cup of ending. Nope, they did not. It was pretty much a very, I say it's a depressing ending, but of course for the main character, he actually ends in a much happier place than he did the beginning of the film. So I recommend the film simply because of the choices they made. Hmm. Okay. This was not a commercial film, even though they tried to market it as a comedy. When the trailers came out, I remember seeing those. I think anybody who went in this movie that you're expecting a comedy, probably at the end of it was like, Oh, that sucked because <laughs> it just was not a comedy at sure. the end at all. Sure. Um, it actually has a lot to say about relationships with fathers and loved ones. And just what does it all mean at the end of the day? So, there's a lot more going on. It's not a perfect movie by any means. Okay. The mixed tone of it just, I think, threw a lot of people off. Okay. But I will say it, it's worth checking out. And, you know, I wanted to say is it was Keira Knightley a good actress. Yeah, she was good in this. <laughs> was Steve Carell a good dramatic actor? Yeah, actually he was. He pulled off a good part. So I, I enjoyed the film. I think it's worth checking out. Okay. That's cool. Seeking a Friend for the End of the World. That came out in 2012. It is on Netflix right now. Okay. So you can't easily see it. So that is our two recommendations. Carol, which I can also echo the recommendation. Very good movie. Seeking a friend for the end of the world. Eh, I'm giving it a general recommendation. It's worth checking out for some interesting choices. We talked about Battlestar Galactica. We talked about P.T. Anderson and Daniel Day-Lewis. We talked about Star Wars, possible reshoots. And is that trouble or not? Hmm. And of course, we started off with our reviews of both Sing Street, terribly emphatic recommendations from us. And then pop star, never stop, never stopping. Chris giving a very high recommendation. Me, I'm giving a fair recommendation. So overall, we had a good episode. I mean, we're not down on anything. I think we're all pretty upbeat about the movies we talked about. A lot of good options to check out after listening to this episode. So Chris, somebody agrees or disagrees with us about any of these reviews, which I'm sure there are some people out there that will. (laughs) What should they do? You can send us an email at info at the mesh TV and just tag it somehow subject line or somewhere and uh, say it's for foot candle films and let us know what you did or did not agree with us with our reviews. Let us know a movie that's coming out that you want us to review or maybe one that's come out. That's really good that nobody knows of. And you think we should review just, let us know. So send us an email at info. At the I think somebody's going to re- recommend hot rod. That's kind of where I'm feeling. Could, Things could are going to go. Yeah. Could be. That would be scary, but it uh, could be. <laughs> also, uh, Alan and I are both on Letterboxd, so you can find kind of a diary that we keep on there of films that we're watching and maybe short little mini reviews. 
Also, I would be remiss if I did not mention in Hickory, where the show is recorded, we are going to have our second annual Foot Candle Film Festival, September 23rd through the 25th. So uh, more information about like tickets and the films that we're going to be showing will be coming out. But just clear your calendar if you yes. would like to come to the second annual Foot Candle Film Festival. We don't want to hear that you've got a daughter getting married right. or got a big trip to Antarctica planned for that weekend. No, no. Cancel it. Reschedule it. And you can't say, you come to Hickory. my child's going to be born. We've got hospitals here. Oh, yeah. So, we got two know, very good hospitals right. right here. So there you Bring child the pregnant be born wife. here. It's all good. That's right baby can be born here and you can still make it back to the theater to the film festival to catch at least the latter half of the shows right. later that day we understand you have a baby you want to spend some time with the sure. wife and baby but yeah once the baby goes to sleep come on over and watch the movies That's right. just for the record i'm not at all advocating that I'm, but anyway we, we want you to come to the festival although regardless. if you did it it would be amazing it would be all please tell us if you did that that right. happened to you be that would be really cool so yeah, the film festival should be a lot of fun. I think we're really excited about it. And uh, got some good films getting queued up right now. So very, very fun stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. So that is our show. Again, thanks uh, to, for listening. And uh, check us out on TheMesh.TV. And go back and listen to old episodes and let us know what you think. And until next episode, we'll just take care. We'll talk to you soon. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.